Our scripture reading today is from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 12, there's verses 35 to 40. Uh, before we read this, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and gracious Father, the giver of all good gifts, Father, we thank you that you have given us your word to guide us, to instruct us, and to lead us through life, Lord, both the word that dwells in our heart and the word that is written down in the pages of Scripture. But Father, as we approach this word, we know we cannot understand these things unless the same spirit that illuminated these words would illuminate our hearts now. And so, Father, we pray for that illumination of your spirit. We pray it would rest upon our hearts and minds, that as we hear, that as we read, that we would also understand. Lord, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the gospel according to Luke, chapter 12, verses 35 to 40. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, if any of you have ever told ghost stories, which I know you've probably done at one point, when you were kids at least, gathered around with your friends, maybe around a campfire if you're lucky at camp, and told ghost stories together, exchange each one, tell a story they know, you'll probably notice that there are some recurring themes that show up in every ghost story telling. In every group you're around, you'll always hear these certain similar types, like these ghost stories have these tropes that get repeated over and over again. Let me tell you, for example, if you're in a group telling ghost stories, somebody's going to tell a story about a hitchhiker, right? I mean, the hitchhiker always shows up in the ghost story group. Someone's got to tell the story of the hitchhiker. If it's not that after the hitchhiker, you might get the, uh, the man in the window. That's always a, a popular one face peers in the window. Um, or maybe the madman who's just escaped the asylum, you know, or maybe a guy with a hook in his hand. These are the, the, these are the tropes. These are the ones that we hear over and over again through ghost stories. Another one you hear a lot is the story of the woman who waits. The story of the woman who waits. And we, we've heard this incarnation many times. It's, it, it's, it's lots of ghost stories have the woman who waits. You know, it's the lady whose lover joins the, 
merchant marines or something. He's out sailing, and she stands on the cliff every day waiting for him to come back. But then she gets news that the ship has sunk, and she still doesn't believe he's gone, so she waits and waits, and eventually she, she dies, and you can see her ghost haunting the cliffs at night now, waiting for her lover to return. I think there's a South Carolina incarnation somewhere in the marshes. She's walking around waiting, and it's, and it's always a woman, all right? It's, it's never a guy. It's never a man. You never hear on the story like, that oh, was it back in the 1950s, and the wife went out to go to the grocery store once, and she never came back. The husband just starved to death. <laughs> and you can see him roaming the halls today looking for his dinner. You know, it, it's always a woman in there. One of, the, one of my favorites was a, was a Civil War version of this story. Ladies waiting. Her husband goes off to fight in the war, and after Appomattox, all the men are coming back, and she stands on her porch every day waiting for him to come back. She waits one year, five years, 10 years, 20, 30, 40. Eventually, she dies, and if you find out wherever this house is, you'll see her ghost on the porch at night waiting for her husband to come back. Now, when you hear these kind of stories, you might have one or two reactions. There might be the romantic in you that says, oh, isn't this beautiful? Love so strong waits even after death. Or maybe there's the practical side of you that says, you know, at some point, you just got to stop. At some point, enough is enough, and you got to quit waiting and just move on with your life. And I got to say, this is generally a good lesson, all right? I mean... Guys and girls, if you're waiting for that special person to realize how awesome you are, it's okay to wait for a little while, but at some point, some point, you just got to move on. Maybe they're never going to realize it. You applied for that dream job. You got your interview, waiting for the phone call. At some point, you just got to move on. At some point, you wait long enough, you realize it might not just happen some point it makes sense just to stop waiting wait waiting has its limits can't wait forever right well, when Jesus talked to his disciples he told them he was coming back he told his disciples wait for me I'm coming back in Acts we're told that uh, as soon as he went up to heaven two men appear to the disciples two angels and they tell the disciples Jesus is going to come back the same way you saw him leave he ascended to heaven. One day, he's going to come back, descending back down to earth again from heaven. And, and all throughout the New Testament, we're told to wait. Paul tells us to wait. Peter tells us to wait. Jesus is coming back. In the book of Revelation, the Spirit says it several times, I am coming soon. And it wasn't just the disciples. Jesus himself said it. He told his disciples he was coming back. Today, what we read today, keep your lamps burning. Stay ready for the moment because the Son of Man, Jesus said, is going to come at an hour you do not expect. He says, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. Just when you least expect it, that's when Christ is going to return. So always be ready. Always keep your lamps lit. Now, Jesus said that about 2,000 years ago. And we're still waiting. He said that a very, very long time ago. Many generations have come and gone. Many faithful believers have waited. 
and died waiting. But at what point do we say it's enough waiting? At what point do we say we might be looking a little bit crazy right now? He's waiting like, like the old woman in the ghost story, standing on the porch waiting for someone to come back that maybe isn't coming back. When is enough enough? Well, as far as I can tell, never. As far as this waiting is concerned, never is enough. We always are waiting. Waiting is what we do. Waiting is a part of our Christian character. We as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, we don't just believe in Jesus as a Lord and our Savior and, and obey Him as a teacher. We're also waiting for Him as a Lord that's going to come and claim and return to this earth and complete His kingdom finally. It's a central part of being an, a, a Christian. And I would go so far as to say, if we're not waiting anymore, it's going to have serious consequences for our faith. If we're no longer a people that are actively waiting for Christ to return, it will have very serious consequences for our faith. And sadly, there are a lot of mainstream denominations that unfortunately are no longer waiting for Jesus to return. They've, they've not said they've given up on the wait, but you can tell they've given up on the wait because they never mentioned him coming back. They never talk about him coming back. They never talk about a return. And they never talk about us always being ready for Jesus to return. The church I grew up in never mentioned it. I don't think they ever said a word officially about Christ coming back and being ready for Jesus to come back. And even worse, three years of seminary, I don't think it was ever mentioned once by a professor. By a professor or by a teacher that an important, a key element of our faith is waiting for Jesus to come back. So I was really surprised to learn, you know, doing some studying, some digging myself, to not only find out how important it was to the apostles, but what a big theme it was throughout all the New Testament, through all the early church, even through the medieval church, and the early modern church, and all the way up to about, I don't know, somewhere about 100 years ago, where people just finally gave up the weight. If we do this, though, it has serious consequences for our faith. And as a result, serious consequences for how we live as believers in Jesus Christ. Today, Jesus told his disciples this parable, and he told it in several different ways throughout the Gospels. But basically, it's essentially the same. The master is gone, and the servants are in the house, and they're supposed to wait for their master to return. They're supposed to always be ready for the master of the house to come back. And how do they do that? How's the right way to do that? Well, they kind of act like the master is home, but they're getting ready for him to be there at any minute. You know, they're cleaning the house up. They're making sure his room is ready to receive him. Making sure they've got all their chores done, that everybody looks nice and presentable for when the master comes home. Whereas those servants who stopped waiting for the master, acting very, very differently. They're slacking on their chores. They're probably sleeping late. Nothing's ready. Nothing's cleaned up. Maybe they've even raided the wine cellar 
Invited their friends over for a party. Had a little you know, like risky business thing going on. And if he's gone long enough, or if they're convinced he's not coming back, then maybe they'll even think that they're the master of the house now. Maybe they'll put on the clothes of the master and start parading around as if they're the Lord of the house and they're the ones that are in charge and calling all the shots. It's kind of like when a teacher leaves class. Y'all remember that? When you were in school and the teacher left the class? I mean, if she just went for a second and came back, it was okay. But the longer the teacher stayed away, the more chaotic it got in that class and it got more and more unruly. And the, if she was gone too long, it was complete chaos. But imagine if the students became convinced the teacher was never coming back. That is when it would get truly crazy in the classroom. So what does a church do who believes that her Lord is not returning? Do we descend into chaos like that, into madness, shirk our chores and our duties, maybe put on the robes and believe that now we're the master of the house. We're the ones in charge of the church. We're the ones directing the fate of the world. If we do that, we're not living by faith anymore. At least not the faith handed down by the apostles. We're living an entire faith completely. We're not living by faith. We're living by sight. And we're living by our own reason, by our own minds. We just say, you know what? I don't see Jesus. Do you see him coming back? Is there any signs he's coming back? I don't see any signs. Do you see any signs? It doesn't make any sense anymore. I'm not waiting. I made up my own mind. I'm going to start doing things my way now. I'm going to put on the master's clothes. And I'm going to assume a lordship of this house and of this world. And if the world's going to get it fixed, it's up to me now. If the kingdom of God is going to come, it's up now to the church and the human hands to do it ourselves. But if we're living by faith, if we're living by faith in Jesus and who he is and what he has said and what he has promised us is going to happen, then we wait. We wait for our Lord to come back and we remain ready. If we're living by faith, a faith in Jesus, we're waiting for our Lord to come back. Now, how, how do we do this, you might ask? Well, it's, I'll boil it down to a simple question. Okay, ask yourself, is today a good day for Jesus to come back? And this is a personal question, not a theological question. It's for you. Do you think today is a good day for Jesus to come back? Do you feel ready? If he came back into your life, into this world today, not into your life, he's always in your life, but if he came back into this world today to claim it and came up to you, do you think, you know what, I'm completely ready for this. I've been preparing for this my whole life. Here I give it to you all. The house is ready for the master to return. Do you feel like that? I mean, just honestly, you don't have to nod your head or anything. Just answer it in yourself. Do you feel like you're ready? If Jesus came back today, which of the servants would you be? Would you be the servant that had the house ready, had the chores done? 
Would ye be the one that was letting the chore slip and slacked off and slept late and had no idea he was coming then? Which one would you be? Now, only you can answer that question. I can't answer it for you. But it's the bigger question of, have you been living by faith? We've been talking about this now for, I think, the last eight weeks now. And we've been asking the question about, are the things you believe making a lasting impact on your, on your life? Or these things that we confess and say what they believe, are they just in your head and they're staying in your head? Or are they changing how you behave, how you treat other people, how you live your life? Now, if you look in, the, um, in your bulletins, you'll notice I put these little cards in here for you. Not to be confused with these cards. These are your Life by Faith cards. Don't forget to fill them out once again. This is kind of like a summation of what we've been talking about in the last eight weeks of living by faith. And on the left-hand column here, you'll see these are the things that we believe. And on across from it, from the right-hand column, is, is how we live now because of that belief. This is what we believe. This is the action of that belief. And if you want to know if you're ready, if you've been waiting for Christ, look at these and ask these things that you've been doing. You know, we say we believe that there is only one God. So have you been putting God first in your life then? If you truly believe there is one God, have you been putting God first? We believe we've been given eternal life. Have you been investing in eternity? We believe that life has purpose. Have you been a good steward of everything that God has given you? Have you been stewarding God's gifts faithfully in your life? We believe that Jesus is the only way. Have you been sharing the good news with other people? We believe that God's grace shines in you. Have you been letting your light shine? We believe that God has given us forgiveness from our sins and eternal life in Christ Jesus. Have you been living without fear? We believe that Jesus is coming back. Are you ready for him? Are you ready to meet your Lord again? Are you living by faith? Now, I don't want anyone here to get discouraged at this point. Because that's a lot to ask. And I'm going to be honest, the expectations for believers in Jesus are pretty high. Actually, they're very high. The expectation is the righteousness of God. I don't know if an expectation can get higher than that. If it does, I don't know about it. That's the expectation. But I'm going to be honest, and, and you know this and I know this. You could work every second of every day. You could spend every waking moment committed to, to building the church, to spreading the good news, to studying the gospel, to doing good works, to helping build the work of the church. You can do all that all the time and still not measure up. It's the human condition. We're not going to measure up to the expectation of the righteousness of God. One of the first things we have to do is accept it. Accept that we will not measure up. And then once we accept that, we can understand that when Christ comes back, He's not expecting to find perfectly righteous people. 
It's not what he's expecting at all. To find a perfectly righteous people or even a perfectly righteous church. And I'm not sure if that's even what he wants to find when he comes back. What Jesus expects to find and wants to find is faithful people. It's people who are striving to live by faith. He tells this wonderful story about persistence and trust in God. It's a story about a widow and a judge who is unjust. And the widow's looking for justice from this judge, and so she just keeps pestering him and pestering him, and he has no intent of giving her justice, but because she bothers him so much, he finally breaks down and gives her justice. And then Jesus tells us he wants you to be like that too, not the judge, the widow. He wants you to be persistent. He wants to be persistent in your conviction and always come to God again and again and again. And he says that if you do that, if you act like this widow, then when he comes back, he will find faith in the earth. And I think he uses that as the example, faith in the earth, because that is what he wants to find. He wants to find faith in the earth. He wants to see his people living by faith, struggling to live the life of faith, to believe in him, to trust in him, no matter what else is happening in their life around them. And he knows it's not a perfect life. That's why it's a struggle. That's why we battle with it. That's why we war with it, because it's not a perfect life. We've got all kinds of desires and passions pulling us one way or another. The Spirit's pulling us one way. The flesh is pulling us another. We have our wisdom telling us to do one thing and our folly leading us down another path. We have our pride warning us to do one thing, our trust in God telling us to do the exact opposite. We have our doubt pulling us in one direction. We have our faith leading us in another. And when Jesus returns, he wants to find faith here on earth. He doesn't want to find people with, with perfect, perfect, serene righteousness, like we're all enlightened and nothing troubles us at all in the world. He wants to find people seeking God. He wants to find people searching God out and struggling in their faith, struggling to see the face of God. When Christ returns, he wants to find people seeking him out, find people searching for answers, find people trusting in their heart, even when their eyes tell them something different. What Jesus wants to see is people engaging in the great struggle of faith. And if he finds that, he will find faith on the earth. The master knows your house is not going to be perfect. He knows. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be faithful. God does not expect you to be perfect. He expects you to be faithful. So I don't know how you feel about the ghost story of the woman who waits. I don't know what your reaction is. Maybe you think it's a beautiful story. Maybe you think it's pure folly. But I want to tell you this. It's a story of great faith. It's a story of someone who believes so much that they will even wait till after death for what they believe. 
Is it foolish? Yes, it's foolish. It's also hopelessly romantic. We can't help but be drawn in by this. For we have to admit that there is something deeply romantic in the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. After all, it is a love story. Does that make us fools for believing that Christ is going to return after 2,000 years of him not coming back yet? Yes, it does make us fools. It makes us fools for Christ. But the Bible tells us that the foolishness of God is wiser than all the wisdom of man. So we wait. We do not know the hour. We do not know the day. So we wait. We stay ready. We strive to believe. We strive to obey. We stay faithful in worship and study and prayer and loving one another and forgiving one another. We keep those lights shining no matter how dark it gets. And as long as we remain faithful, as long as we keep our lamps burning, as long as we strive to have that house ready for the master when the master returns, when he does, he's not going to find perfect people, but he will find faith in the earth. And that is exactly what he's looking for. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.